Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 165, Coyote and the Shadow People. Today, we will discuss a classic of Native American storytelling, a story told for generations by the Nez Perce tribe, entitled Coyote and the Shadow People. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need, where Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, our novelist and critic Todd Goldberg, and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hey, guys. What's hey. going on? Hey. How's everybody feeling? I'm feeling good. Feeling strong. Feeling good. Yeah. No feeling dry cross here. So feeling strong. That's all we can hope for. Uh, a lot of stuff <sighs> going on in my life. I uh, woke up. That's it. <laughs> Todd and I are oh. both in the process of dismantling the things we lead for either two weeks yeah. or a year, which is really horrible. <laughs> I just want to yeah. know the date when it's over, but we yeah, don't. We don't. I mean, it's it's a so for listeners out there. So Julia uh, run owns and operates an improv theater in Hartford, Connecticut, and mm-hmm. I uh, direct a graduate school in creative writing at the University of California. Um, so all both of us have these uh, secondary jobs with huge moving parts to them. Um, and it turns out that when you're in charge, oh and boy! Correct me if I'm wrong, Julia. People expect you to have answers. Oh my god! <laughs> Can I tell you guys how many nice, but just so overwhelming? Like, hey, what are we doing? Are we going to close? Is my class going to be canceled? Are the shows canceled? Are the family shows canceled? Are the nine o'clock shows canceled? Is the festival canceled? Yes, everything's like... canceled. <laughs> Cancel everything. Yeah. Just put it on hold. Oh. <sighs> yeah. But yeah, I felt it, it's sad because people are, when people are afraid, they like turn to they the leader community. closest to them. And yeah. unfortunately, they haven't learned yet that I'm a complete fraud sham of a leader who doesn't <laughs> know the answers. That is bad time for imposter I'm sure syndrome. that is not true. Yeah. Rear its ugly head and reveal itself to be true that you are an imposter. Well, this I mean, what's, is awful, the time what's awful about what you're dismantling too, Julia, is that like what we all want more than anything is entertainment and to be oh, yeah. around each other right, right. now. Like if, the idea of like, I've never craved a theatrical experience more than right now. It's like after seven, eight days of sitting in my house with only seeing my immediate family, it's like, I want to be in a crowded dark room laughing with people like so bad. And like, it's just, oh, it's so disheartening if, that we're not getting that. literally kill people, we would be sold out. That's, yeah. it's, it's, awful and like the weight of the decision like if you close too slowly like people will die blood is on your hands right. uh <laughs> yeah tell, tell that to lot. kid rock who's still like you know having concerts in nashville it's like kid rocks <laughs> rock and roll coronavirus cruise 89 or whatever like what the fuck man well <sighs> i just hope that i helped some people by closing because yeah. i also know of course this is so much less important than saving who you can save but like taking away people's community is really hard hard. it's really hard i mean i have the unique um joy actually of trying like the the mfa program that i run is is online basically except for when they're in residency twice a year so 10 days in june and 10 days in december and i don't know if our 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 june residency is going to happen or not um but you know it's 
in fact, it's business as usual for the students, you know, academically, but that doesn't really matter, you know, because they still need to see and talk to other people that they would normally see and talk to. There's, you know, these, these, I say kids, but these are, you know, these people in their forties, um, you know, they hang out a lot. You know, most of them live in Southern California. They spend a lot of time together. They go to get coffee. They, you know, they're, they're going to each other's events. You know, there's a whole social life that's related to this MFA program, both for the students and the alums. It's all very closely knit. It's really different than what the three of us experienced, um, as grad students together. Um, and part of that is because it's this thing that I've sort of put into place. Like, hey, like you are each other's people. Go out and support each other. Go out and do stuff. You know, go experience culture with one another. And when that closes down, um, as we all know, writers tend to be introverts. And that you can be an extrovert with your introvert friends. But without them, you're just an introvert. Um, and so, you know, we're setting up all of these um you know, Zoom meetings and, you know, hangouts and, you know, I'm trying to get my students and my faculty to to create content that we can put online for our communities and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But first, I just want to make sure that everyone is good and safe. And, you know, I, you know, like I know that there's people that are in bad relationships and like, I'm worried about that, you know, all, all these other things that that go along with it um, that you don't really think about as in terms of just like, oh, hey, I'm a professor of creative writing. But I'm also like, I, I know all these people intimately and I know their lives. And so I'm worried about all of them. Um, and so it's, you know, it's, it ends up being, um, I have, of course, my own anxieties, but I'm also trying to mitigate what I can for these folks in this big thing that they're a part of that isn't going to stop. You know, the University of California is not going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a lot, man. It's a lot. It's all, I mean, to just to try to be a calm port in whatever storm you can for the 15 minutes you're talking to that person on the phone, I think there's value in that. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Which is also why today on Twitter, someone in our literary disco mentioned said hi to me. And so I recorded a three second video saying hi back to them. And it is absolutely horrifying. Yeah, wow. that is nice. I, I did watch it. That is more terrifying than. <laughs> That is not reassuring. That is not reassuring at all. No, it's not. You don't want to just be uh, opening up Twitter and then all of a sudden I'm there talking to you and shit. That's that's bad fucking energy. uh, (laughs) Well, my job, which is just writing right now, is also completely dismantled. Uh, Not only because it's impossible to focus when you have a child at home and childcare and 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 the normal, but like all that aside. I've also noticed um, everything I'm writing has changed. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I'm writing a screenplay for a studio, and I write a scene like, hey, and they, two characters, slap five. Right. And then I go, well, wait a minute. Does our movie take place pre-coronavirus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or do I have to incorporate social distancing because this movie, when it gets released, is going to be two years from now. I'm like, well, I can't even think that far ahead. Well, no, what's the no. point of writing the script? No. <laughs> like, it, you know, but, but what I'm realizing is that the potential cultural value of what I'm working on might, like, it might be a dead project. Like, right. movies, movies that are in the pipeline, like mine, I mean, I'm rewriting a screenplay that has been, you know, in process for nine months at this point. Like, I, I'm paid for this rewrite. I have to do it. I'm doing it. But it also might be a completely pointless exercise because I have a feeling studios are going to throw out everything. Like what 
I don't know. Have you guys seen like commercials lately? Like they are, they're outdated. <laughs> like everything right. feels like from well, another era. But the other side of it too is that no one's working. So yeah. You, so for the the average person probably doesn't know this, but like if you're shooting uh, a TV show or a movie, there's 300 people standing behind the actors at different parts of that in that room you know like a whole company moves to go shoot a scene it's, it's 200 people right Ryder yeah. they're oh, moving well, around yeah I mean a full well, budget but I mean right. but yeah no usually I mean you're at least 50 people gathered together in any crew situation yeah. most likely on on television and films yeah 100 150 people easy and that's just, yeah. yeah so it's shut down everybody everybody I know is shut down everybody yeah. nobody's working in production right now my my, mm. my one of my good friends was directing her first feature film shot oh, two days Two days into her film, everything was finally going, and she had to pull the plug. That's you know, a studio so feature, crazy. and it's 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 a tragedy. You know, now wow. she's home with her kid, like all of us, just quarantined. Yeah. Yesterday, um, so my house uh, backs up to a golf course, and um, <sighs> I was standing outside my backyard, and there was like six old dudes playing golf. And I was like, it's all I could do not to scream. You're all gonna be dead. Go <laughs> And they were old, right? They were like yeah, sixty they're old. plus, they're super yeah, old. like the worst people to be out, right? Mingling, idiots. But I, you know, I've I've already made the mistake of looking on next door to see who doesn't believe this is real, and it's all like seventy five year olds saying, "Gavin Newsom doesn't tell me when I leave my house." So it's like, well, that's gonna solve itself pretty soon. Exactly, like, you're <laughs> selecting out of the gene pool, yeah. like oh, idiots. God. Wow. Yeah. All right. But you know what would be helpful is if we had some sort of broader understanding of where death comes from. Yeah, Mm. wouldn't that be good? Interesting. (laughs) I'm sure we're the first generation to ever have to think about death, right? For sure. No one's ever really confronted their family dying or how death works. No. All right, so you know what I'm going to, I want to do? I'm going to record myself telling the story after we're done. So we, we can, we'll take a break. Now, and we'll just tell Justin to insert what I record after we, because I wanted to actually just tell the story. Okay. And then we'll come back and have our discussion. All right. As if I told it, because it's short enough. All right. Coyote and the Shadow People. So Coyote and his wife were living there, and she became ill. She died, and Coyote was incredibly, incredibly sad. For a while, all he did was cry every day, all day for his wife. And then the death spirit came to him and said, Coyote, do you miss your wife? And Coyote said, what do you you mean? Of course, yes, I miss my wife. I'm crying for her every day. And the death spirit said, okay, well, listen, I can take you to where your wife is. I can do that. But, and, and this is essential. This is really, really important. You have to do exactly as I say. I'm like, seriously, you have to listen to me. And Coyote said, of course, my friend, I am hanging on every word. Don't worry. Take me to my wife. Let's go. And they started walking. After a little while, the spirit said, Coyote, I, I, I just want to reiterate, you have to do everything I say. You have to listen to me. Coyote said, trust me, I miss my wife so much. I'm, I'm going to follow every one of your commands. Coyote couldn't see the spirit clearly. All he really saw was like a shadow of a person. And they came over to a plane, and suddenly the spirit said, Oh, there's so many horses. It looks like a roundup. Yeah, said Coyote, even though he couldn't see anything. 
Yeah, there's just so many horses. And that seemed to make the death spirit happy. So they kept walking along, and then the death spirit said, Oh, look at all these berries. And Coyote couldn't see anything, but he played along and said, Oh, yeah, these berries look delicious. Come on, said the ghost spirit, let's eat some of them. And he reached up in the air and bent down a branch that Coyote couldn't see and started eating berries. So Coyote played along. This is what he had to do, he figured. So he, he reached up in the air and mimed grabbing a branch and then started pretending to eat invisible berries. Mm, oh yeah, these are, these are good. After they had eaten for a while, they moved on. Now we're about to arrive, the ghost said to Coyote. This is a very, very long lodge and your wife is in here. You just have to wait and let me ask for somebody. So in a little while, the ghost came back to Coyote and said, yes, they have your wife in the lodge. We're going to go through the door and you have to do exactly what you see me do. I'm going to take hold of the door flap, raise it up, bend low and enter. And then you have to raise the door flap, bend low and enter. Coyote did exactly as he was instructed, even though he couldn't see anything. Now it happened that Coyote's wife was sitting right near the entrance, the ghost said. And so the ghost said to Coyote, here, sit here next to your wife. And your wife is going to prepare food for us. And Coyote couldn't see anything. He was just sitting on the open prairie, nothing in sight. And the ghost said, oh, she's prepared our food. Let's eat. And the ghost reached down and brought his hand to his mouth. And Coyote couldn't see anything but prairie dust. But he did the same. And when they had finished their meal, and apparently Coyote's wife had put the food away, the ghost said, so things work differently here. We are on a different timeline. Uh, in the land of the living, when it's daylight, it's darkness here. And when it's darkness for us, it's daylight in the land of the living. And that's when Coyote noticed it was getting darker and he was starting to hear voices. He could hear whispers all around him. And then as it became fully dark on the prairie, Coyote realized he could see the lodge. He was inside of a long, long house, and there were fires burning everywhere, and he could see people. Not, not quite. They were more like shadows of people, but he could also see his wife was sitting right next to him. Coyote was overjoyed. He had never been happier. He could suddenly visit with all his old friends who had died years ago. He spent the whole night just walking from fire to fire, marching up and down the aisles, seeing all these old friends and catching up on what they've been doing and telling them all about his life. And then dawn started to approach and the ghost approached Coyote and said, all right, Coyote, our night's falling. And in a little while, you're not going to be able to see us, but you got to stay right here. Don't go anywhere. Just stay here. And in the evening, you'll get to see us all again. And Coyote said, yes, I, I'm totally going to listen to you. I mean, where, where, where else do I want to go? I've got nowhere else to be. I am spending my day right here. So the sun rose and Coyote found himself alone in the middle of the prairie. And he spent the whole day there just dying in the heat, thirsting for water, but he didn't move. Coyote stayed there for several days. All day long, he would suffer miserable in the heat, but every night he would get to be with his wife and his old friends in the lodge. It was a wonderful time. 
And then one day his ghost friend came to him and said, all right, tomorrow you're going home and you're going to take your wife with you. And Coyote said, yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, I love it here. I'm having such a good time. I kind of want to stay. Yeah, the ghost said, but you got to go tomorrow. And listen, you really, really have to not do stupid things. Don't give in to any weird ideas. I'm going to tell you what to do. And you just have to listen to me. You have to trust me. Don't get all coyote on me. Absolutely, said Coyote. All right. It's going to take you five days to get home, said the ghost. And your wife is going to be with you. You're going to have to cross five mountains with your wife by your side. But you must never, never touch her. Don't, don't let any impulses or desires take over. You can talk to her, but you can't touch her. And after five mountains, when you've descended from the fifth mountain, your wife will be home with you. So when dawn came, Coyote and his wife left. And at first, it seemed like he was traveling by himself, but, but he was dimly aware of his wife's presence as she walked behind him. They crossed one mountain, and, and now... Coyote could start to really see her. She was, she was like a shadow. And then they crossed the second mountain. They camped every night at the foot of the mountain. So Coyote's wife would sit on one side of the fire, and Coyote would sit on the other. And each night, her form appeared clearer and clearer. And the death spirit who had sent them began to count the days and figure out how far Coyote and his wife had gone. I hope he does everything right, the spirit kept saying to himself. And then Coyote and his wife were on their last night. And now, for the first time since she had died, she, she was real. There she was, in the flesh, it, no longer a shadow person. She, she was there. He could see her in the firelight, alive again. And Coyote was overwhelmed with joy and, and love and desire once the impulse had taken control of his body, he couldn't stop himself. He leapt to his feet and rushed to his wife to embrace her. And his wife cried out, Stop! Stop! Coyote, don't touch me! Stop! It was too late. Coyote rushed over to his wife, and right as he touched her body, she vanished and returned to the Shadowland. And when the Death Spirit found out about Coyote's folly... Oh, he was so pissed. You, you inveterate doer of this kind of thing. I told you not to do anything foolish. You're, you're, this is so coyote of you. In just a little while, the human race is coming. And you've spoiled everything. Because of you, now death is permanent. Coyote just wept and wept. But he made a plan. He said, you know what, tomorrow, I'm going to go see them all again. And so he started back, and he recognized all the places that the spirit had shown him before. He found the place where, where the spirit had said he saw the horses, and Coyote played along. He said, oh, oh, look, look at all the horses. It, it totally looks like a roundup. And he kept walking until he, he knew he was at the spot where they had eaten the berries. And so he, he said, oh, look, look, look at the good berries. I can't wait to eat them. And he pretended to bend down a branch and eat some berries. Mmm, these taste good. And finally, he made it to where the lodge had stood. And he said to himself, okay, now here's where I hold the door flap up. And I bend my way down and I sit. Oh, look, he said, my wife has prepared food for me. 
and he pretended to eat, going through the motions again. And darkness fell, and Coyote waited. He wanted to hear those whispers. He looked all around, looking for the fires. There was nothing. He was alone, just a coyote sitting on the prairie in the dust. He stayed there all night, but the lodge never appeared to him again. He never saw his wife or his old friends again, and the death spirit never returned to him. Now we're back. All right. <laughs> oh my God, Ryder. Wasn't Very I amazing? Moving. That was so powerful. I love the bit about the coyote. <laughs> You're a very experienced actor. Incredible. Yeah, you should do voiceover work more often. Yeah. This is, That was almost as good as the hobo from uh, the Hardy Boys. Oh, I did the whole thing in the hobo voice. You didn't, you didn't catch that? How, what was my hobo voice? I don't even remember. I, it was like a mixture of a, it's like a pirate. Like a Midwest pirate. <laughs> All right, guys. So I, I, this has been one of my favorite stories forever. Um, I, uh, and I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Um, mm. And so that's why I wanted to bring it up uh, for Literary Disco and share it with our listeners and share it with you guys. So I'm really curious. Um, what do you think? Mm. Um, I'd never read it before. And as you both know, I love myths. Yeah, I'm, I've been <laughs> waiting for this. <laughs> It was fine. <laughs> oh my god! Really? That's all you got? It was, it was fine. fine. All right, Julia. Fine. Let's just skip over Todd. Go, go to right okay. to you. Yeah, I no problem. It was fine. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as the myth goes, <laughs> not a bad myth. Okay, so, <laughs> so I. But hold on. Let's I, just take take a second. Hold on. We have to go back to that. What do you yeah. mean when you say myth? Like when you say the, the when you dismiss this as a myth, what are you doing? Like what are you talking about? Like you, because it's made up, it has no value to you. No. No, it's not. that tone. It's that tone. I know. I know tone. what you mean. Yes, it's the tone. I don't know what it like. So of course you know it, it's it is actually a story that is made to be told out loud because in fact it is a um, transcribed story, right? Exactly. It's a ta- right. That's it's why a- I wanted to tell it. Yeah. It's because it's, I want to actually, a- I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell it. Like, cause right. the whole point is that the story is still living. You're supposed to right. retell, retell, retell. Yeah. So it's a, it's a talk story, which is, yeah. I mean, that's cool. Um, but <laughs> like, it's a little heavy handed. <laughs> Sort of knew what was going to happen. <laughs> it doesn't it didn't move me. Like I was like, oh yeah, that's interesting. I was watching a thing the other day that had the story of the the lakes in in um, New York State, Lake Cayuga, and how the the myth is that uh, the Native American myth is that the spirit ran its hands across the the ground and created uh, the Finger Lakes of. Uh, of that part of the country. I thought that was cool. Okay. <laughs> right. Wow, Todd. We're getting nowhere. <laughs> Julia, okay. what do you got? Any thoughts? So I am fascinated by... Okay, so I just saw Hades Town, which is the musicalized version of Orpheus and Eurydice, which is oh, very yeah. similar, very similar must myth. Be exciting. And then, of what's that, Todd? I said I would have loved to have seen that. 
He sounds great. You might have actually liked it because it's written by a singer songwriter. So that's oh. how to communicate <laughs> anything to you. It's through sad guitar. I might have liked that. Yeah. yeah. James Taylor. <laughs> um, Anais Mitchell's. It's it's really good. Um, but and then of course there's Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt in the Bible, and I'm I'm so curious about and moved by this common thread that's I'm sure in a million cultures, which is like you could almost have what you wanted as long as you don't ask for too much by looking right. back or reaching out. Um, and what does that mean? I don't know. I, I feel like I have not personally experienced, I guess the longing for that person to be back is so much that you can't resist, but I, right. I'm, pu- I'm trying to put this myth into something that's like in my lived experience. And I don't know, it's, it's hard to do that. Well, um, I mean, it's, 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 the reckoning with heartbreak, you know, that like yeah. you, like you have to, you, you can't engage in magical thinking Right. that you have to, you have to actually accept the trauma and the heartbreak of, of your life. Right. Um, and so, you know, in truth, of course, I, I do find that story to be a good sort of lesson you could teach a young child or something. Um, <laughs> and it's, you know, of course it's, it's salient. For all of us, we're all going to lose someone and, and wish that we could get them back. And it's basically pet cemetery, you know? <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's the same story. Mm. So we should just read Pet Cemetery. <laughs> you would enjoy it a not, whole lot more. It's not Pet Cemetery because it's not literal. So like in all of these things, you know, you can't actually see the thing or touch the thing that you want, you know. Right. Uh and that's what I love about this story are these lines like, let me, let me find one. Um, they had arrived now near the place of the dead. The ghost knew that Coyote could see nothing, but he said, oh, look, such quantities of service berries. Um, and yeah, it's asking us to trust that things are there that we can't see. And that's right. incredibly moving. You know, yeah, and and also the 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 power of um, of belief to change perception. So mm-hmm. you want something to be true, so therefore you see it even when you don't see right. it. Right. Right. You know, like like um, I we've discussed ghosts in the past, mm-hmm. um, in the afterlife in the past, and <laughs> I know I've said this before, but like I didn't believe in the afterlife until I fell in love. And mm-hmm. so you fall in love and you begin to alter your worldview. You know, you begin to, of course, I believe in the afterlife. Of course, I believe in ghosts because the person I love the most, if they die, it can't just be a door that closes behind you. There right. has to be something else. And that's, you know, that's what the story is. It's the engagement of magical thinking, the perception of reality, the desire to not see the truth of the, the world that's presented to you. Right. I guess one question I have, and Ryder, maybe you could put this in a better context for me, is like, I'm interested that this is a coyote story. So how does this fall into the trickster motif? Uh, you know, yeah, this is go. just sad. Oh, Jesus. What? 
yeah, I mean, that's... Uh, Just the term trickster is enough to make me want to put my head through a fucking wall. Why? What what does that mean to you? I can't tell you how many times I've had to sit through a graduate lecture on the trickster where someone's like, I'd like to discuss this as it relates to the trickster myth. I'd like to kill myself. (laughs) Okay, well. Ryder and I will be sure to not look at you so you still exist in your afterlife. Yeah, I mean, I for me, like that's 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 like the thing that's so fascinating about this story and a lot of yeah. other uh, uh, trickster stories is that that as opposed to say it again, you know, like say trickster again, motherfucker. Right, well, I'll say, I'll, 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 I'll make it even worse. I'll call it. This is this is a trickster transformer. Okay. Uh, <laughs> or or maybe if you put it this way, you call it a trickster cultural cr- cultural hero. Yeah, there's like a bunch of terminology, but the idea that the idea that you know in Native American stories, a lot of a lot of times the trickster is you know is this destabilizer who fucks things up and uh, is super gross or funny or weird and like tests cultural oh boundaries God. and like pushes I'm people the and it's like yeah you are you yes, you are the trickster are. of literary disco bad fucking Definitely. energy. Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> But, but, you know, the best, the best part about every trickster story, Jesus Christ, yeah, the best, the best part is when the trickster is also, uh, the creator, you know, a creative force. Mm -hmm. So it's like, by not following the rules, Coyote has created the most human circumstance. Right. Right. Like, like if, if Coyote could 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 have accomplished this mission we would all be able to have our 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 loved ones forever and mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. that idea is just so unsettling to me and, mm-hmm. and and something that i think like you know a lot of european western literature like doesn't have cultural heroes like that in the same way that coyote is the is the creator like he is a creative force but Mm -hmm. he's also a culturally destabilizing force he's somebody who can't follow the rules so it's like to me that is like the most human of stories you know as opposed to like um uh the orpheus myth or you know where you have these like sort of heroic warrior like characters creating the 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 culture it, mm-hmm. having coyote be the force of create the like creative occult is just to me that's that speaks like that makes this myth way more relevant um you know it makes it yeah. really not like kind of a myth to me it makes it just like a great story that everybody can relate like everybody can relate to coyote wanting to see his wife and also everybody can relate to coyote not being able to withhold and and then like his desire like what i like what i love about this version because there's a bunch of different versions of this story there's like ones where coyote is carrying a a box with his kids bones because he's trying Mm. to bring his kids back from the dead and you know he he ends up chasing a bug so he fucks that up and the the, the kids bones don't come back to life and so he loses it and then there's one with like him and eagle and like him and eagle have some kind of bet or something oh yeah it's all but you know but what I like about this one is that last moment of him like going back and doing it like again. Yeah. Like that to me is that like is, that is the human sad. condition. It's yeah. like we were always going to keep trying to do the rituals. We're gonna keep trying yeah. to follow the rules and we're gonna listen to the like the cultural authorities around us. Like in this case, it's a ghost death spirit. But like, you know, we all have somebody telling us just follow these rules and you'll get what you want, especially as kids. And then like we don't. We don't follow the rules because we're we're human. And I guess the reason I've been thinking about this story is because it also involves like 
a prohibition of touching, which mm-hmm. in our social distancing time right now, I'm thinking mm-hmm. a lot about, and I'm thinking about how like I can't be, you know, like we're going to be around a lot of people dying whom we can't be around right now. <laughs> like like yeah. there are going to be people dying mm-hmm. left and right because of a disease that we are socially distancing from. And like this story really, really like resonating with me right now. It's just like, I mean, honestly, like it just popped in my head last week and I can't stop thinking about it. And like, now I've been like diving into all these books about these kinds of stories. And like, I don't know. I just think it's important. I think it's important to retell stories like this and, and uh, I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Like you said, the idea of this trickster figure, but, but recognizing ourselves in that figure and like ourselves, like, I guess because I do feel like we are rebuilding our culture right now. Like that's kind yeah, of going like to be our job. Yeah. yeah. And like, but we thank, have thank to, thank God we have a transcendent leader to guide us through it. Mm-hmm. Right. That's the thing. It's like, it's falling on all of us right now to take some responsibility for what kind of world we want to have. And, right. and so like a story like this to me is, is just getting at the heart of that and like, and, and, and underlining that challenge. And like, we have to keep trying, we have to keep, uh, you know, keep making rituals and keep trying to follow the rules or break the rules or do whatever it is that's going to like keep a creative force and like coyote as a creative force um is fascinating to me and like stories like this one really resonate mm. that's good so, writer wow that's a good point um so i changed my point of view yeah. fine well, I love it because you're, you're, you're. I love that you're. You're. You're right. You are a trickster figure. Like your sense of humor is very destabilizing. You it love is. to push boundaries, and you look at that as actually a constructive force, not as a destructive force. Like you think of yourself as like I'm tearing down boundaries positively because that reinvents, you know, new values or, or makes people re- reinvestigate their their existing ones. And I like that's the whole point of trickster stories. Shit. Yeah. So making a mockery of something is is a trickster thing. Huh. <laughs> it's in the title. I mean, shit. I mean another thing, Ryder, to your <laughs> to, to your point. Oh god, uh, mapping onto this current moment is this feeling like the only way to make it through to where we want to make it is to not do anything, um, and that is just antsy and itchy and feels impossible right now. Like to ask mm-hmm. people to do the best thing by doing right. nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Resist. It's <laughs> so interesting. I did not make that connection. And now I want to go back and reread. Um, I mean, when he has to sit wow. with his wife for five days of camping or, you know, and, and, not, for, touch and, her. and yeah. not touch her and she's becoming more real. Like that's the yeah. way we are all feeling right now. Like that's yeah. what I, I just, yeah. I'm no, like, the, my the poor son is, is wanting to just be around his friends so bad right now. And all we have is FaceTime. And I, I keep thinking about this like ghost image of Coyote and his wife. Every time I see my son, like talking to his buddy on, you know, FaceTime mm. running around my house, I'm like, Oh my God, we're living in this world now where this, this is our reality. And we have to resist the urge to like hug each other or shake hands or just that, meet like, up and have thing. dinner. Like, I, I, I keep, I've been missing my siblings a lot lately. Like we've all been checking in with each other mm-hmm. and, um, and my sister's husband is very sick. And, um, you know, like the idea that if I were to like break the laws or whatever and drive to Los Angeles to see my siblings, I, I couldn't even touch them when I saw them, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, 
Like that, it's so hard to wrap your mind around that. We had, um, we had an engagement party for my niece. Uh, it seems like it was seven months ago. It was three weeks ago. And like, that was the, yeah, that was the last time I think I touched someone that was not my wife was on that night. Wow. Um, and that was, it was February 28th. And today for listeners, we're recording this on March 18th. Um, it, 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 you know, it seems like a whole other lifetime ago. And, you know, now we couldn't even have that party. There were 25 people at that party. We couldn't even have that party. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. All because of a coyote. Mm. Another thing about this story and, and stories like this in general is is their present tenseness. Yeah. You know, it's like the whole point of, you know, they, 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 the story exists in this, like, what they call, like, myth time or a mythic time before humans exist. But, but it's really like a present... Uh, even the trickster themselves is sort of like a constant present tense. Don't, like don't they you are. Fucking say it again. I, well, oh, why I'm not? Sorry. Coyote. All right. Coyote. Don't you is, fucking say is, it again. He is, a const- he, he is constantly living in the present. He is incapable of seeing into the future and planning ahead. And he's incapable of taking the traditions from the past. Like he is, he is sort of like, you know, uh, an id figure, if you will, if you want to put it into Western mm-hmm. terms, right? Like he's right. this like constantly like, I just want to do the thing and I can't I just do it right now? Or how do I, you know? See, and I'm like, not a trickster because I'm, I'm ruled by the anxiety of death. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I, I also like, I am finding, and we've, we've been talking about this. We talked about it a little bit off mic. I am keeping myself in the present tense right now. Like, I can't think of the future without being overwhelmed. I can't think, yeah. like, two weeks into the future without getting really, really scared and, like, oh. uh, panicky. And, and, like, I think we're all kind of in that space. So I, mm-hmm. I, love, I love that stories and oral storytelling in particular is a way to sort of stay present and to stay – to force these, like – conditions of death or loss into a present tense circumstance where you're sharing it with another person who's telling you the story and you're imagining the story. And I don't know, like, you know, I think podcasts are going to go up hopefully because I think we're all kind of craving that the sense Just of to like, hear someone belonging. Else's voice. Yeah. yeah that, and, that, and that, but it also like the idea that we exist in the present together and that we're mm-hmm. all, you know, that's why we, I hope this episode gets out within the next couple of days. Cause it's going to be so outdated. Yeah, a week. Uh, uh, the reality of, of how rapidly things are changing right now. Yeah, everything. Mm. Everything seems. Um, every morning I've been waking up. I've been asking this really though of my wife, and I, I know I've said this on the show before. Like pretty much since November of 2016, I've woken up and asked Wendy, "What's the status of our democracy?" <laughs> but now she's been telling me. <laughs> Like what did I miss in the twelve in the nine hours that I was asleep or however long it was when I didn't wake up in the middle of the night screaming? Yeah, yeah. Everything everything seems so dynamic. Um, but you know, the, the nice thing about uh, actually reading a story like this and and reading literature in general is, um, you know, not to not to undervalue what we're going through, but this too shall pass. You know, there is there is going to be another side. We are going to come out some other end. I don't know how changed we'll be, um, but this is a story that's existed for a very long time, which means we have existed for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and that's you know, there's uh, there's value to to understanding the the permanence of of some things, but man, it's it's tough when you watch the news and 
X number of people are dying every single day. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to stay uh, upbeat about stuff, but you got to be upbeat about the little victories every single day. Like, hey, I didn't eat all the cookies. I could have. I didn't. <laughs> I think it's gonna be. I mean, I just. It's really amazing how rapid this is. The most rapid social change I bet anyone alive has ever experienced. Um, in, in the United States, let's say. Um, but imagining life afterwards, it's going to be an after, you know? And I like yeah. as recently as like a week ago, for the last like year or so, people have been like, how are you? What's new? And I've been like, everything's good. I don't have anything to say. I'm riding the wave. Like I'm saving my money. I got my fun jobs. I have my cool hobbies. I have my nice family. The end. And now I'm like, wow, well, <laughs> glad I appreciated it because it's already like insane. Insane. Um, yeah. So this hey, is... if, if you if you were complaining that you didn't get to live through history, last four fucking years, man, pretty good history. <laughs> I've never complained Jesus. that. Well, that's a stupid God. thing to complain about. <laughs> I totally agree. Remember the 90s when history slept? That was a good time. <laughs> yes, I also, do Also in the it. 90s, racism was over, guys. Don't you remember oh, that? That was so cool. That nice yeah. feeling. We could just pat ourselves in the yeah. back. Oh, we solved that problem. That was that's done. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Jesus. Uh, uh, just the the so, veil that was over our eyes. So, um... We should tell people what we're going to do, though. That we got, we've got a big project coming up, right? Yeah. We should, we should mention that. Yeah, yeah. Next so up, middle we March. Are, we're gonna, we're gonna read a book that is long, I guess. Right, middle March is long, mm-hmm. and it was written during the plague. Was it written during the plague? I don't know. No, no. no. <laughs> Victorian. Ah, the victory. You're about yes. five hundred years off, but onward and upward. I get a little lost in the whole what was going on in Britain. Uh, we're going to read Middlemarch, and we're going to do a bunch of mini episodes on it over the course of however long it takes us to read it. And you all are invited to read along with us. We'll put out a little schedule of how much we're reading um, so you can stay up to date with so us. Order your copy from an independent bookstore that's delivering. Yeah, if, if you guys or go get online a right, now, right now to bookshop.org, that's a really good one. It's all independent booksellers. Um, they are selling books and shipping them out right now. Uh, these independent bookstores, they need your money. Man, they really do. Um, and Amazon, as of today at least, is uh, holding back some of the non-essential items for shipping um, to concentrate on food and medicine and um, porn. Um so you know, get your get your books from somewhere else, or of course you can always get an ebook if you need to. Um, those are simple. Actually, Middlemarch might be Project Gutenberg. Is it? I'm not sure, but it's the kind of book you want to have in your hands. You want to have a physical fire. copy if you can, but yeah. I don't know. I'm not a I'm not an e reader. Neither um, am I. Yeah. But just so our listeners know, and so Todd knows, George Eliot, a woman. A yeah. Woman. Ah. Todd it, with the <laughs> name George. Just, just, uh. just before you stick your foot in your mouth, saying I'm reading that great book by that guy George Eliot. Huh. Interesting. Well, nice we'll get Tommy into Captain it. Cards, a girl. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I have, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> Do people not know that George Eliot was a woman? Quickly. Yes, you... a lot of people don't know. You just read the name Georgia. I didn't know until we were in grad school. I think that was the first time I'd ever even heard of Middlemarch, and I was like, "Oh, this guy George." It's a lot of not stuff sure. about furniture. I know that much. 
Um, but we're still going to do a bunch of other little things, too. We're going to keep you guys as engaged as we possibly can as we um, as we stream towards our death. <laughs> no. Well, no? No? as we save culture one book at a time. Yes, as we save culture one book at Preserve a time. Preserve culture be- as, as the world falls apart. We're going to be right there with you. And periodically, if you leave a comment on our Twitter, I will, in my bedraggled state, leave you a video comment that's horrifying. I don't. Please don't. I was thinking about taking some photos of my bookshelves just for fun. If you leave a comment on our Facebook, I'll send you a nice picture. (laughs) That's nice. Ryder will do nothing because he doesn't know where we keep our social media. I don't know. I'll I'll take pictures of my books. I'll take pictures of my bookshelf. I'll send, send, yeah, I'll send pictures of like, how about I send pictures of my horrible handwriting notes in the back of my books just to confuse people. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. I Literary like that. Disco is produced and edited by mm-hmm. Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.